Part two, chapter one of A Key to Uncle Tom's Cabin by Harriet Beecher Stowe. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit us at LibriVox.org. Recording by Michelle Fry, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Chapter one. The New York Courier and Inquirer of November 5th contained an article which has been quite valuable to the author as summing up in a clear concise and intelligible form the principal objections which may be urged to uncle tom's cabin it is here quoted in full as the foundation of the remarks in the following pages the author of uncle tom's cabin that writer states has committed false witness against thousands and millions of her fellow men she has done it he says by attaching to them as slaveholders in the eyes of the world the guilt of the abuses of an institution of which they are absolutely guiltless her story is so devised as to present slavery in three dark aspects first the cruel treatment of the slaves second the separation of families and third their want of religious instruction to show the first she causes a reward to be offered for the recovery of a runaway slave dead or alive when no reward with such an alternative was ever heard of or dreamed of south of the mason and dixon's line and it has been decided over and over again in southern courts that a slave who is merely flying away cannot be killed she puts such language as this into the mouth of one of her speakers the master who goes furthest and does the worst only uses within limits the power that the law gives him when in fact the civil code of the very state where it is represented the language was uttered louisiana declares that the slave is entirely subject to the will of his master who may correct and chastise him though not with unusual rigor nor so as to maim or mutilate him or to expose him to the danger of loss of life or to cause his death and the law provides for a compulsory sale when the master shall be convicted of cruel treatment of his slaves and the judges shall deem proper to pronounce besides the penalty established for such cases that the slave be sold at public auction in order to place him out of the reach of the power which the master has abused if any person whatsoever shall wilfully kill his slave or the slave of another person the said person being convicted thereof shall be tried and condemned agreeably to the laws now the general court of virginia last year in the case of souther versus the commonwealth it was held that the killing of a slave by his master and owner by wilful and excessive whipping is murder in the first degree though it may not have been the purpose of the master and owner to kill the slave it is not six months since governor johnston of virginia pardoned a slave who killed his master who was beating him with brutal severity and yet in the face of such laws and decisions as these mrs stowe winds up a long series of cruelties upon her other black personages by causing her faultless hero tom to be literally whipped to death in louisiana by his master Lagree and these acts which the laws make criminal and punish as such she sets forth in the most repulsive colors to illustrate the institution of slavery so too in reference to the separation of children from their parents 
a considerable part of the plot of uncle tom's cabin is made to hinge upon the selling in louisiana of the child eliza eight or nine years old away from her mother when had its inventor looked into the statute book of louisiana she would have found the following language every person is expressly prohibited from selling separately from their mothers the children who shall not have attained the full age of ten years be it further enacted that if any person or persons shall sell the mother of any slave child or children under the age of ten years separate from said child or children or shall the mother living sell any slave child or children of ten years of age or under separate from said mother said person or persons shall be fined not less than one thousand nor more than two thousand dollars and be imprisoned in the public jail for a period of not less than six months nor more than one year the privation of religious instruction as represented by mrs stowe is utterly unfounded in fact the largest churches in the union consist entirely of slaves the first african church in louisville which numbers fifteen hundred persons and the first african church in augusta which numbers thirteen hundred are specimens on multitudes of the large plantations in different parts of the south the ordinances of the gospel are as regularly maintained by competent ministers as in any other communities north or south a larger proportion of the slave population are in communion with some christian church than of the white population in any part of the country a very considerable portion of every southern congregation either in city or country is sure to consist of blacks whereas of our northern churches not a colored person is to be seen in one out of fifty the peculiar falsity of this whole book consists in making exceptional or impossible cases the representatives of the system by the same process which she has used it would not be difficult to frame a fatal argument against the relation of husband and wife or parent and child or of guardian and ward for thousands of wives and childrens and wards have been maltreated and even murdered it is wrong unpardonably wrong to impute to any relation of life those enormities which spring only out of the worst depravity of human nature a ridiculously extravagant spirit of generalization pervades this fiction from beginning to end the uncle tom of the authoress is a perfect angel and her blacks generally are half angels her simon legree is a perfect demon and her whites generally are half demons she has quite a peculiar spite against the clergy and of the many she introduces at different times into the scenes all save an insignificant exception are pharisees are hypocrites one who could know nothing of the united states and its people except by what he might gather from this book would judge that it was some region just on the confines of the infernal world we do not say that mrs stowe was actuated by wrong motives in the preparation of this work but we do say that she has done a wrong which no ignorance can excuse and no penance can expiate End quote. a much-valued correspondent of the author writing from richmond virginia also uses the following language quote, i will venture this morning to make a few suggestions which have occurred to me in regard to future editions of your work uncle tom's cabin which i desire should have all the influence of which your genius renders it capable not only abroad but in the local sphere of slavery where it has been hitherto repudiated 
possessing already the great requisites of artistic beauty and of sympathetic affection it may yet be improved in regard to accuracy of statement without being at all enfeebled for example you do less than justice to the formalized laws of the southern states while you give more credit than is due to the virtue of public or private sentiment in restricting the evil which the laws permit i enclose the following extracts from a southern paper inset i'll manage that thar they's young in the business and must spec to work cheap said marks as he continued to read there's tree on em easy cases cause all you gotta do is to shoot em or swear they is shot they couldn't of course charge much for that and inset the reader will observe that two charges against the south are involved in this precious discourse one that it is the habit of southern masters to offer a reward with the alternative of dead or alive for their fugitive slaves and the other that it is usual for pursuers to shoot them indeed we are led to infer that as the shooting is the easier mode of obtaining the reward it is the more frequently employed in such cases now when a southern master offers a reward for his runaway slave it is because he has lost a certain amount of property represented by the negro which he wishes to recover what man of vermont having an ox or an ass that had gone astray would forthwith offer half the full value of the animal not for the carcass which might be turned to some useful purpose but for the unavailing satisfaction of his head yet are the two cases exactly parallel with regard to the assumption that men are permitted to go about at the south with double-barrel guns shooting down runaway negroes in preference to apprehending them we can only say that it is as wicked and wilful as it is ridiculous such thugs there may have been as marx and loker who have killed negroes in this unprovoked manner but if they have escaped the gallows they are probably to be found within the walls of our state penitentiaries where they are comfortably provided for at public expense the laws of the southern states which are designed as in all good governments for the protection of persons and property have not been so loosely framed as to fail of their object where person and property are one the law with regard to the killing of runaways is laid down with so much clearness and precision by a south carolina judge that we cannot forbear quoting his dictum as directly in point in the case of witzel versus ernest and parker colcock jr delivered the opinion of the court quote, by the statute of seventeen forty any white man may apprehend and moderately correct any slave who may be found out of the plantation at which he is employed and if the slave assaults the white person he may be killed but a slave who is merely flying away cannot be killed nor can the defendants be justified by the common law if we consider the negro as a person for they were not clothed with the authority of the law to apprehend him as a felon and without such authority he could not be killed it is commonly supposed that the property interest is a sufficient guard in these cases if people choose to ruin their possessions i don't know what's to be done it seems the poor creature was a thief and a drunkard and so there won't be much hope to get up any sympathy for her it is perfectly outrageous it is horrid augustine it will certainly bring down vengeance upon you my dear cousin i didn't do it and i can't help it i would if i could if low-minded brutal people will act like themselves what am i to do they have absolute control 
they are irresponsible despots there would be no use in interfering there is no law that amounts to anything practically for such a case the best we can do is to shut our eyes and ears and let it alone it's the only resource left us in a subsequent part of the same conversation st clair says for pity's sake for shame's sake because we are men born of women and not savage beasts many of us do not and dare not we would scorn to use the full power which our savage laws put into our hands and he who goes furthest and does the worst only uses within the limits of power that the law gives him so mrs stowe tells us through st clair that there is no law that amounts to anything in such cases and that he who goes furthest in severity towards his slave that is to the deprivation of an eye or a limb or even the destruction of life only uses within limits the power that the law gives him this is an awful and tremendous charge which lightly and unwarrantably made must subject the maker to a fearful accountability let us see how the matter stands upon the statute book of louisiana by referring to the civil code of that state chapter third article one seventy three the reader will find this general declaration the slave is entirely subject to the will of his master who may correct and chastise him though not with unusual rigor nor so as to maim or mutilate him or to expose him to the danger of loss of life or to cause his death on a subsequent page of the same volume and chapter article one ninety two we find provision made for the slave's protection against his master's cruelty in the statement that one of two cases in which a master can be compelled to sell his slave is when the master shall be convicted of cruel treatment of his slave and the judge shall deem proper to pronounce besides the penalty established for such cases that the slave shall be sold at public auction in order to place him out of the reach of the power which the master has abused a code thus watchful of the negro's safety in life and limb confines not its guardianship to inhibitory clauses but proscribes extreme penalties in case of their infraction in the code noir black code of louisiana under head of crimes and offenses number fifty five section sixteen it is laid down that if any person whatsoever shall wilfully kill his slave or the slave of another person the said person being convicted thereof shall be tried and condemned agreeably to the laws and because negro testimony is inadmissible in the courts of the state and therefore the evidence of such crimes might be with difficulty supplied it is further provided that if any slave be mutilated beaten or ill-treated contrary to the true intent and meaning of this act when no one shall be present in such case the owner or other person having the management of said slave thus mutilated shall be deemed responsible and guilty of the said offence and shall be prosecuted without further evidence unless the said owner or other person so as aforesaid can prove the contrary by means of good and sufficient evidence or can clear himself by his own oath which said oath every court under the cognizance of which such offence shall have been examined and tried is by this act authorized to administer enough has been quoted to establish the utter falsity of the statement made by our authoress through st clair that brutal masters are irresponsible despots at least in louisiana it would extend our review to a most unreasonable length 
should we undertake to give the law with regard to the murder of slaves as it stands in each of the southern states the crime is a rare one and therefore the reporters have had few cases to record we may refer however to two in fields versus the state of tennessee the plaintiff in error was indicted in the circuit court of maury county for the murder of a negro slave he pleaded not guilty and at the trial was found guilty of willful and felonious slaying of the slave from this sentence he prosecuted his writ of error which was disallowed the court affirming the original judgment the opinion of the court as given by peck j overflows with the spirit of enlightened humanity he concludes thus it is well said by one of the judges of north carolina that the master has the right to exact the labor of his slave that far the rights of the slave are suspended but this gives the master no right over the life of his slave i add to the saying of the judge that law which says thou shalt not kill protects the slave and he is within its very letter law reason christianity and common humanity all point but one way and another quote in the general court of virginia june term eighteen fifty one in souther versus the commonwealth it was held that the killing of a slave by his master and owner by wilful and excessive whipping is murder in the first degree though it may not have been the purpose of the master and owner to kill the slave the writer shows also an ignorance of the law of contracts as it affects slavery in the south in making george's master take him from the factory against the proprietor's consent george by virtue of the contract of hiring has become the property of the proprietor for the time being and his master could no more have taken him away forcibly than the owner of a house in massachusetts can dispossess his lessee at any moment from mere whim or caprice there is no court in kentucky where the hirer's rights in this regard would not be enforced quoting uncle tom's cabin no father brought her once in one of his trips to new orleans and brought her up as a present to mother she was about eight or nine years old then father would never tell mother what he gave for her but the other day in looking over his old papers we came across a bill of sale he paid an extravagant sum for her to be sure i suppose on account of her extraordinary beauty george sat with his back to cassie and did not see the absorbed expression of her countenance as he was giving these details at this point in the story she touched his arm and with a face perfectly white with interest said do you know the names of the people he bought her of a man of the name of simmons i think was the principal in the transaction at least i think that was the name in the bill of sale oh my god said cassie and fell insensible to the floor of the cabin of course eliza turns out to be cassie's child and we are soon entertained with the family meeting in montreal where george harris is living five or six years after the opening of the story in great comfort now the reader will perhaps be surprised to know that such an incident as the sale of cassie apart from eliza upon which the whole interest of the foregoing narrative hinges never could have taken place in louisiana and that the bill of sale for eliza would not have been worth the paper it was written on observe george shelby states that eliza was eight or nine years old at the time his father purchased her in new orleans let us again look at the statute book of louisiana 
in the code noir we find it said down that quote, every person is expressly prohibited from selling separately from their mothers the children who shall not have attained the full age of ten years and this humane provision is strengthened by a statute one clause of which runs as follows be it further enacted that if any person or persons shall sell the mother of any slave child or children under the age of ten years separate from said child or children or shall the mother living sell any slave child or children of ten years of age or under separate from said mother such person or persons shall incur the penalty of the sixth section of this act this penalty is a fine of not less than one thousand nor more than two thousand dollars and imprisonment in the public jail for a period of not less than six months nor more than one year vide acts of louisiana one session ninth legislature eighteen twenty eight eighteen twenty nine number twenty four section sixteen the author makes here a remark scattered through all the southern states are slaveholders who are such only in name they have no pleasure in the system they consider it one of wrong altogether and they hold the legal relation still only because not yet clear with regard to the best way of changing it so as to better the condition of those held such are most earnest advocates for state emancipation and are friends of anything written in a right spirit which tends in that direction from such the author ever receives criticisms with pleasure she has endeavored to lay before the world in the fullest manner all that can be objected to her work that both sides may have an opportunity of impartial hearing when writing uncle tom's cabin though entirely unaware and unexpectant of the importance which would be attached to its statements and opinions the author of that work was anxious from love of consistency to have some understanding of the laws of the slave system she had on hand for reference while writing the code noir of louisiana and a sketch of the laws relating to slavery in the different states by judge stroud of philadelphia this work professing to have been compiled with great care from the latest editions of the statute books of the several states the author supposed to be a sufficient guide for the writing of a work of fiction as the accuracy of those statements which relate to the slave laws has been particularly contested a more especial inquiry has been made in this direction under the guidance and with the assistance of legal gentlemen of high standing this writer has proceeded to examine the statements of judge stroud with regard to statute law and to follow them up with some inquiry into the decisions of courts the result has been an increasing conviction on her part that the impressions first derived from judge stroud's work are correct and this author now can only give the words of st clair as the best possible expression of the sentiments and opinion which this course of reading has awakened in her mind quoting st clair in uncle tom's cabin this cursed business a cursed of god and man what is it strip it of all its ornament run it down to the root and nucleus of the whole and what is it why because my brother quashi is ignorant and weak and i am intelligent and strong because i know how and can do it therefore i may steal all he has keep it and give him only such and so much as suits my fancy whatever is too hard too dirty too disagreeable for me i may set quashi to doing because i don't like work quashi shall work 
because the sun burns me quashi shall stay in the sun quashi shall earn the money and i will spend it quashi shall lie down in every puddle that i may walk over dry shod quashi shall do my will and not his all the days of his mortal life and have such a chance of getting to heaven at last as i find convenient this i take to be about what slavery is i defy anybody on earth to read our slave code as it stands in our law books and make anything else of it talk of the abuses of slavery humbug the thing itself is the essence of all abuse and the only reason why the land don't sink under it like sodom and gomorrah is because it is used in a way infinitely better than it is for pity's sake and for shame's sake because we are men born of women and not savage beasts many of us do not and dare not we would scorn to use the full power which our savage laws put into our hands and he who goes the furthest and does the worst only uses within limits the power that the law gives to him end of st clair's quote the author still holds to the opinion that slavery in itself as legally defined in law books and expressed in the records of courts is the sum and essence of all abuse and she still clings to the hope that there are many men at the south infinitely better than their laws and after the reader has read all the extracts which she has to make for the sake of a common humanity they will hope the same the author must state with regard to some passages which she must quote that the language of certain enactments was so incredible that she would not take it on the authority of any compilation whatever but copied it with her own hand from the latest edition of the statute book where it stood and still stands end of part two chapter one